The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Jonah chapter 4. Where we're going next, for those of you who are curious, is we'll, I'll preach from Luke 2 next week on Christmas. I will preach something to be determined on New Year's Sunday, because we don't think many will be here. And then we will start our longest series yet through the book of Acts. I don't know how long it's going to take. It will take us about six months to get 12 chapters. That's as far as I've gotten. It's going to take a while. We'll do some breaks from here to there. But I believe the book of Acts has some really important things, particularly for a new church to learn, because that's what Acts is all about, our new churches starting all throughout the world. And so that's what we're going to do, and that's where we're going from here. But today, we are in Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. I want to begin by just asking this question. What makes God happy? What makes God glad? Now, that should be an important question for anyone, especially if you are a Christian, because, well, one, you would desire to see God be happy because you love God, but also because I think it stands to reason that the things that make God happy should make us happy. And as we look at this passage today, we see Jonah is kind of an example of what that, what it doesn't look like. See, at one point, he's exceedingly glad, but even when he's exceedingly glad in the text, he's glad in his own right, in his own gladness. He's not glad in the things that make God glad. He's glad about his own comfort. And then when it gets taken away from him, he gets really, really angry and really, really despairing. Jonah is a cotton-headed ninny-muggins. For everybody wanting a Christmas sermon, you now have one. For everybody who doesn't get that, watch the movie Elf. It's awesome. He's just acting so immature, and he's all over the place. I mean, he's, he's like borderline manic. His swings from high to low happen quickly in this book, from exceeding gladness to extreme despair, even wishing to die three times in Jonah chapter 4. So what I want us to look at as we look at this prophet and wrap up this book and we talk about how the book has been this story of God's grace, is that what we see is here, this prophet who is totally wrong is loved by the Lord. And God in his grace 
confronts Jonah in his sin. And what I want to say is this, is that God, in his grace, confronts us so that we might be glad. God's confrontation in our lives will lead to our gladness because he loves us and he does want you to be happy. But he wants you to be happy in the things that make him happy So what I want us to do as we walk through this passage today is we're going to see two places where gladness cannot be found. But I think we often try to be glad in these things. I want to give you a warning of what happens when our gladness isn't found in God, but we're trying to find it somewhere else. And then we want to end by simply reminding ourselves where gladness is truly found. And I've already said it. You know the ending. We are glad in the things that make God glad. But we want to end on that note as we prepare for Christmas together and we remember that it is in Christ that we can be glad. So let's read Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, "'It is better for me to die than to live.'" But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. See, what we want to see as we walk through this passage is that Jonah finds gladness in the wrong place and then he leads, that leads him to a place of despair, but he should be finding gladness. This is the end of the book. Like Jimmy reminded us last week, Jonah has had a great day as a preacher. He should be happy about it and he's not. But I want us to see how can we be glad in the things that make God glad. Well, first is we must see where gladness is not found. Looking at those first uh, two verses, five and six, we want to see that gladness is not found in our works. Gladness will not be found in our ability and what we are able to do. Looking at verse five, it tells us, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Now, a booth is like a shelter. He probably would have brought together maybe even some plants that were already dead and he puts them together but that's the last we really hear of this booth because he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city now the lord appointed a plant and made it come up over jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so apparently his booth isn't working very well and so jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant the literal translation there, but he was rejoicing in his rejoicing. He's doubly happy in what is happening. And he's really glad, but where is his gladness? What is it? Well, we have the prepositional phrase there, because of the plant. He has made this booth, 
made this little shelter, and apparently it's not doing the trick. Maybe the hot sun, which could get up to like 110 degrees in this particular part of the world, was just burning its way through dead things put together, whereas a live plant would do better. Maybe the sun, you know, just moves, and maybe Jonah didn't calculate very well, and he only builds this thing to cover on one side, and now he's getting all hot. We don't really know, but here's what we know. God is able to appoint this plant to grow, and the plant provides him his comfort. This is something that we actually kind of see throughout the book of Jonah, is that man is trying and gives effort, and it doesn't really produce very much, but God's will cannot be thwarted by the things that he plans to do. See, in the first chapter of Jonah, we know that the Lord hurls a storm on the sea. The author then helps us see that, that this thing continues to happen because sailors start to hurl cargo as a way to, to get through it, as, as the, their kind of own works, and it doesn't work. Just hurling the cargo over the side of the ship, they're still in danger, and their lives are in danger. When they know they're supposed to throw Jonah overboard— They say, well, we're going to try to row ourselves to the shore. And they row as hard as they can, but they cannot overcome God's storm. And even here, as Jonah's trying to build up his own shelter and build up his own booth and trying to do things his own way, it's not even his own booth that provides his shade. It says he is happy and is rejoicing upon rejoicing because of the plant. See, even in our lives, when we're getting it all wrong, Jonah is throwing a pity party. He doesn't deserve to have a plant grown up for him to give him comfort. God's blessings are the things that still bring us joy, even though he's a sinner. He's made an idol of his comfort, and we know that because when it gets taken away, he gets really, really mad. That's a really good sign for us. What are the idols in your life? Well, if something gets taken away, do you get really, really upset about it? that's probably holding a little too much value in your life. I don't think Jonah is glorifying God in this particular kind of gladness. I think he's sinfully glad, which is a weird thing to say. I don't think about my sin. I think, when have I been really happy about bad things? But it's a reality of Jonah's situation. But what I do want to point out is that even the things that make him glad aren't even of his own ability. And God's going to point that out later. You didn't bring about the plant, Jonah. Your booth gets a quick mention, and then it's nothing. What he brings to the table is very, very little, and it can't withstand the heat. And yet I think we do that in our lives as we think, well, maybe my abilities and my labors and what I bring to this, that will be the thing that makes me glad and happy. That's what I'll find my purpose in is the stuff that I do. And even when that's well-intentioned, what we have to see is that cannot be the ultimate source of our gladness because our gladness has to be the things that God has done. We want to work with the Lord and what he is doing. We don't want to work against him, but we also don't want to just try to kind of go our own way, even if it's well-intentioned. We need to see that God will always have his way. And so while Jonah desperately wants comfort and the heat to go away, God wants to teach Jonah something. And he does that because God is not done appointing things, which leads us to our second point of where gladness cannot be found, is gladness cannot be found 
in our circumstances. Picking up in verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So what happens is Jonah's sitting underneath this plant, probably some kind of gourd that is able to grow up and provide him some shade. Apparently, it's a really fast-growing plant because that moves pretty quick in one day, but that's what it does. And it provides him some shade, and he's comfortable, and God appoints a worm to attack the plant, eat at its little stem, and then God appoints an east wind that blows, and it's, it's a hot wind. It's not a refreshing breeze. It's one that comes if you've ever been out on a sunny day, and it's really, really hot, and the wind blows, and you're just like, are you kidding me? That just made it hotter. How is that even possible? But sometimes it happens, and we know that happens. It definitely happens in places like Assyria, where Jonah is outside of Nineveh. And the sun starts to beat down on Jonah, so much so that he becomes faint, and he starts to want to die. Jonah is experiencing literal heat. Jimmy last week told us about some metaphorical heat, talking about our circumstances from a book called How People Change. There's a paradigm in which the author utilizes this story of a plant to help us understand, and he's taking it from Jeremiah 17, and he's saying, when the sun comes and and, and the, the heat of life presses in on you, Will your roots grow down, which is your heart, into the things that nourish you, the word of God and his means of grace, so that you can withstand the scorching heat? Jonah is literally experiencing heat like that, and he fails. He gets really sinfully angry, so angry that he wants to die. And that's how things work in our lives. Circumstances cannot be what makes you happy. Because where that is, the place that where you find happiness and joy is in the circumstance of life, it will change. And it will change because God wants it to change. Now, I think we all hear that and we think, wait a minute. So you're telling me God will do stuff in my life that might result in me being uncomfortable and unhappy? God doesn't do that. God's kind and loving. He never makes us uncomfortable. He would never... do anything like that. Maybe he will allow it. Maybe but he certainly, he certainly would never appoint bad things to happen in my life. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, Jonah 1, 17. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, Jonah 4, 6. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered, Jonah 4, 7. God appointed a scorching east wind, Jonah 4, 8. Will God appoint difficulty in your life? In Jonah, it seems so. He appoints these things, and he is moving in such a way. Our statement of faith handles this particular topic in Article 4 under Providence. It says this, God from eternity decrees or permits all things that come to pass, perpetually upholds, meaning continually upholds them, directs and governs all creatures from worms to whales and plants in between and all events, not in any way to be the author or approver of sin or to destroy the will and responsibility of intelligent creatures. What we know from the Bible is that God is in control of everything. 
we do not serve the, the watchmaker God who just kind of set everything in motion and then it'll kind of run itself and then he steps back and just sees what happens. But we serve a God who is innately and intimately involved in the lives of his creatures, which include us, and involved in this world. He perpetually upholds this world. And yes, that does mean that he may appoint things that are unpleasant in our lives. Now the question we have to ask, and we should ask, is why? Why would God do that? And it's actually the reason that you think he wouldn't. See, the reason we often think God would not appoint difficulty is because doesn't God love us? And what I want to say is God does appoint difficulty because God loves you. God loves you and he knows your heart and he knows how human beings work in ways that we will not know. God loves you and he wants you to be different and change. God loves you and he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. And so when Romans tells us in chapter eight that all things work together for the good of those who love him, and then it later tells us because he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ, he means it. All things work together for your good. From worm to whale, God is in control of all of it, and you can be confident of this. He is working for your good, even if in the moment it is unpleasant, it will yield the fruits of righteousness over time. That's the promise God is making. He loves you too much to let you stay where you are. And that's what we see in this passage is Jonah is desperately loved by the God of the universe and God will not just let him sit out east of the city crying and pouting and leave him alone, but God loves him too much. So he pursues him and he confronts him and he brings up the plant only to take it away because he's trying to teach Jonah, Jonah, gladness isn't found in your comfort. Gladness isn't found in your own ability and your work. Gladness is not found in your circumstances. Jonah, look what I'm doing. You can be glad. He loves Jonah and he loves you. And so the difficulties of your life, you need to know, have purpose. Never has anything unpleasant happened to you that does not have purpose in your life. However, what we see is that Jonah still doesn't understand where gladness can be found. He's like me, and I'm sure like many of you, he's a bit of a slow learner. Because of this, because Jonah wants to see things his way, and he's not willing to submit and see things God's way, he is led to a place of extreme despair. And here is my warning. So that's the two things gladness cannot be. It cannot be found in your works and abilities. It cannot be found in your circumstances. But I want to warn you that where there is no godly gladness, you will be led to despair. Where there is no godly gladness, you will be led to despair. We look at verse 9. God comes to him, lovingly confronting him, and says, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough 
to die. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, do you deserve better? Is that what you're saying? You do well. It's a righteous thing right now for you to be angry about this plant? Yeah, it is. I'm so mad I could die. I think God often can ask us the same kind of question. Do you do well? Are you righteous to be angry about your job situation? Where you live, how much money you make, the bad habits of your kids that they just won't figure out? If only your spouse could be just a little bit better or different. And so uh, can I be angry? Our friends let us down. Other people fail us and we're angry. And the question we have to ask is, are you right to be angry? Is it good for you to be angry? Is it righteous? James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Of God. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Are you right to be angry about this? Jonah thinks so. Jonah is convinced that his anger is right and it is just. He is right, God is wrong. God, if you knew what you were doing, you would wipe out all of these Ninevites. And if you really knew what you're doing, you'd keep me nice, comfortable, and in the shade. And he is still not there. And where does that lead Jonah? It leads Jonah to despair. Jonah has an escape problem. He's had an escape problem for four chapters. When we meet him, God says, hey, go to Nineveh. And he says, okay, I'll go to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. He's running away from the presence of the Lord. He has an escape problem. Then when his life is in danger and everybody should be calling out and praying to God, Jonah has put himself as deep as he can into the bottom of the ship, ship and he has fallen asleep. He has been woken up by a pagan sailor and say, hey man, we're about to die. Start to pray. He's the only one who can pray to anybody who can do anything about this storm and he doesn't do it because Jonah has an escape problem and he's running away. And very sadly, what we see in the life of Jonah is three times in chapter four, he has gotten so angry and so despairing, he has asked for death because in his desire to escape, Jonah wants to die. Here is the good news. Jonah's wrong. Escape is not the answer. Death is never the answer. There is no situation where that is the right course of action. If you are struggling with these kinds of thoughts, these kinds of escapes, I want to plead with you, don't leave here today without getting help. 
You can come and talk to me. I want to help you. You can come and talk to anybody who hits the stage. We want to help you. That is not the answer. That's not what we want to see ever. Jonah is in the wrong in this passage. God asked him, do you do well to be angry? He should have said no. But he's stubborn and he's obstinate and he wants his way. What's so shocking about Jonah is in the book, he isn't like that the whole time. It's not too far that we see Jonah in chapter 2, verse 9, he's the same guy who said this, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. How does he get here so fast? How just two chapters later in 4.9 is he saying, I'm so mad I just want to die? I think he's told us already. If I could encourage you to memorize any verse from the book of Jonah, it would be this one. Jonah 2.8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah has lost hope. He just wants to escape and run away and he wants to die. And I believe that is because Jonah has allowed his idolatry to rule him. His idolatry of a false sense of justice, of a false sense of self. Like Jimmy told us last week, he has put God on trial and found God guilty. God, you are wrong. I am right. My way is better. And so he's mad and now he's despairing. Despairing. The text tells us that those who pay regard or honor or worship to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that's the way life works, even for Christians. That's why this book ends like it does, because what we want to see is this is a prophet of God. This is like me and you. We are more like him than unlike him. I jokingly call him a cotton-headed ninny muggins, but the fact is, is Jonah is just like Josh. I get mad and despairing because I want my own way and I know that I'm right and God is wrong. And until I repent of that, until I get to a place where I say, God, you're right and I'm wrong, I'm going to despair. The idolatry of self, a self that believes that he knows better than God, that Nineveh should be destroyed, the self that is concerned for his own comfort, he believes that he deserves this plant. So that when it gets taken away, he is mad. And in his idolatry and in his anger, he is despairing and he is hopeless and he just wants to die. Where there is no godly gladness, we will be led to places of despair. And perhaps it won't look exactly like Jonah. Maybe you've never cried out and wished for death itself to come to you. But here's what I want you to say. If your gladness isn't found in Christ, if your gladness isn't found in Jesus, you will be led to despair. Because what the Bible tells us is that every human being one day will stand before God's judgment seat and we will be judged according to our deeds for those who are not written in his book. See, those who are written in his book are those who follow Jesus, who put their hope and trust in Christ and what he has done. 
And those who do not will be judged according to their deeds. And in being judged according to your deeds, if you're not despairing now, you will be. You will be despairing before God because you will get what you deserve. What you deserve is not comfort. What we deserve is God's judgment. We We deserve hell. But God has made a way, being rich in mercy, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life in our place, to die where we deserve to die, that God poured out his wrath on Jesus so that it won't be poured out on you. And if you put your faith and your trust in Christ, he will save you. And in saving you, he will open your eyes to the reality that gladness is only found in him. The things that make you happy will be the things that make God happy. You'll no longer find happiness in those old idols, whatever they were. Now your happiness will be found in Jesus. And so we must turn away from our own way and live God's way. And what I want to say is even in the Christian life, for those of us written in his book, those of us who've come to know Jesus, who've repented of sin, the reality is is we can still find ourselves angry and despairing. And the same gospel that saved you is the same gospel that will pull you out of despair. The gospel isn't just for the non-believer. The gospel is for you as well. You must run to the Christ who has done everything for you. Who his, it's his work that has been accomplished, not your own. And cry out to him that he might save you. Because ultimately, as we listen to God's response, he draws near to Jonah. And we want to see that gladness is found in that which makes God glad. Verses 10 and 11, he draws near to him and he wants to comfort him. He doesn't reject him and throw him away just because he's got it wrong. He draws him near. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The word there, pity, could also be translated as compassion, concern. So the Lord comes to Jonah and he, and he uses Jonah's own feelings kind of against him. He's trying to help him see Jonah. You pity this plant. You show compassion for the plant. You have care for this plant. And he tells him, what did you do for the plant, Jonah? You didn't make it grow. You didn't labor for it. Jonah, it lasted a day. It's a temporal thing. It's a temporal kind of plant. Here today, and it's already gone. That's what you care about? That's what's so important to you? I'm like that. I care about things that just don't matter that much. I get caught up in the temporal, not focused on the eternal. I'm angry, upset, despairing. So I want to suggest this is the problem isn't care and compassion and concern. The problem is not that you care too little about the things that matter. The problem is you care too much about the things that don't. 
We're caring about plants that are here today and gone the next, all the while God is calling us to care about these people that have an eternity. There's 120,000 of them, Jonah. That's what I care about. That's what the Lord says to him. See, the problem when we don't find gladness, the thing that makes God glad is, is we have our affections are sent, set on things that are temporal. And what God is calling us to do is to put off those affections, but we have to replace them with something else. What do we care about? Your problem is not that you care too much. It's that you don't care about the right things. Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What makes God glad? The repentance of sinners makes God glad. Do you want to make God glad? Do you want to see what it looks like to see God be glad? We don't need to care about the temporal things that rule us. We must care about the eternal things. Might we be used to see that one found and brought back? Might we see that from time to time, I'm the one. I'm the one who has gone off and strayed. I'm the one who's wayward and sinful. But God, being rich in mercy and caring for me because he loves me, leaves the 99 and pursues me. So what will make God glad is the recognition that God has pursued you, that he has overcome you with his, with his love, and that he has made repentance possible because of what Jesus has done. We don't know what happens with Jonah. Verse 11 is the last verse. We're unsure if he gets it. If he repents for his sin and goes and joins Nineveh, who's repented of theirs. We don't know. But like we said earlier in the book, when we're talking about the sailors and not really knowing how legitimate is their conversion or not, maybe that's because that's not what's important when you read this book. When you read this book, it's not about what did Jonah do. When you read this book, it's about what are you going to do. Jesus stands ready to save you. Will you come, like we just sang, all you unfaithful? Will you come and know that you are not good enough? He tells Jonah, be glad. Because what is God crying out about this city? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Something that Jonah admitted in 2.9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Look, Jonah, 120,000 people are crying out to the Savior. 
Why are you not glad? We have to run to that gospel even in our lives. Are you despairing and angry because you feel guilty? Good news, you are justified in Christ. Are you ashamed? Good news, he has bore your shame on the cross. Are you afraid? Good news, he has conquered sin and death in his glorious resurrection. There is no more need to fear. Do you feel like everything is out of control? It is, at least for you. But the one who holds the world in the palm of his hands and who loves you is in total control control from worm to whale. So run to Jesus. He will save you.